Welcome to another episode of the Bees and Honey podcast. Today we're speaking with artist Matthias Kessler. Matthias is based part-time in New York in America and part-time in Europe, his native Austria. Recently, uh, he moved his family back there during the pandemic to live in uh, the little town, the ski town he grew up in outside of Vienna. Um, I think this is really interesting, uh, not just from an art perspective, but from a pandemic perspective, from a political perspective, because we get a bit of another person's point of view on what's happening here in America and how crazy it is that not only do artists not have enough support right now, but the general population doesn't have enough support during the pandemic. Um, I hope you enjoy this. Hey, Hi, Hi, how are you? Good, good to talk to you. It's great yes. talking to you. <laughs> uh, it's been so long uh, since uh, all of this madness has started. It's yes. still going on. Yes. So tell me, you moved uh, from New York City in June to Austria? Yeah, after the lockdown, we realized quickly, having a three-year-old at a time, that there aren't any schools. So his kindergarten was closed permanently after 50 years wow. uh, being open. So we thought like our best bet is to go to Europe um, for multiple reasons. I mean, a free education, free healthcare, and also having a family here who could help us taking care of my son. Oh my and God, all round better. Yeah, all around that. <laughs> it was the better proposition. After, but it's also sad after 25 years living in New York. I mean, I think we are both about the same time. No, you're actually longer in New York than me. But mm-hmm. it's also, of course, sad. But my wife is American, so the plan for now is to stay here. But maybe we do the other way around, staying uh, eight, nine months in Europe and staying the rest in New York, you know. Yeah, I've always maintained the relationship here with Europe. I always had a gallery here. I always had worked in Germany and Austria. Mm-hmm. And what part of America is your wife from? Well, she's actually from the East Coast too, from Washington D.C. But her family is in Boulder. So, oh. but she's also like you in the art business. She's an art consultant, so mm-hmm. she has to go to New York. I mean, she's has clients here in Europe too, but she's a lot of clients in, in New York. Right, she's in the art world as well. I forgot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, well, being here is is okay because I've always had a relationship. I'm, I have a gallery. I work with a commercial gallery in Frankfurt. I have a bunch of shows here anyway mm-hmm. planned, and they actually happened, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's not so bad to move. It's not like I'm jumping in complete cold water. Yes, it's yes. Still weird. And you were born uh, in Austria, yes? I was born in the Austrian Alps, yeah. My family has been uh, here for 500 years. So it's, it's, it's an old, very old like farming uh, valley where they made cheese and uh, cows and, and meat, uh, really. Uh, <clears throat> and in the 20, beginning of 20th century, uh, tourism came and in, 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 in skiing came into this valley and since we were only open to Germany all of the German people with money came here to ski 
-hmm. and my grandfather was sort of started that business a lot he started with uh, building skis he started the ski club mm -hmm. developing the the valley developing the uh the ski resort mm -hmm. but also started with a postcard business and he knew where people sending out postcards more people would come so he did the advertising and the build environment in the same way yes yeah, so, so that's... i grew up with Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I grew up with the image, the advertised image of what it, what this reality could be, uh, of being in a tourist. It's like the beach resort, right? It's always perfect beaches, but then you arrive there and it's actually full of trash. <laughs> uh, and then the other hand, I, 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 it's it's never the image is always so perfect, right? So picture perfect. And mm -hmm. I grew up with that, and then I look out of my window and there's this. There's basically a cable car, snow machines. Right now, at this moment, it's just blowing snow out, even though it's green and sunny. And because of climate change, it's it's uh, it's, it's just in the 60s, 70s. Wow. So it doesn't, yeah. <clears throat> so it's really weird. So I, and, and in a way, the image never fitted the reality. So I think that sort of really deals in my work yeah it's always that sort of look look for reality how how do we treat the natural world how we treat animals how do we treat ourselves and, and how how it's sort of treated to the eye of advertising or the image of advertising and my proposition is that actually art history it's always been creating this sort of beautiful world through painting and the romanticism and so forth i think we have sort of artworks have sort of perpetrated mm -hmm. the image of beauty and aesthetics yes well tell and us how you started yeah. as an artist how did you when did you first start to get your work out there or think of yourself as an artist so what yeah. you use photography right mostly right i used photography yeah when i when i we had a photo lab and we sold that and i somehow ended up in new york Friends of mine from Vienna, I think it was Erwin Wurm, maybe the artist, had a residency back in the 90s. So I came and visit. And then uh, I stayed because it was fascinating. And um, I stayed on and I used my photography knowledge and to shoot for the first, uh, for the inter for interview magazine, Richard Tandisius wants to look out. I always shot that page for many years mm -hmm. and then sort of like was handed on to other people and then also started smaller personal projects and then I had my first show I think with Rare Gallery in 2000 and sort of from there on I went on to the Essel Museum in Vienna mm -hmm. and then to other museums so it, it snowballed pretty quick mm -hmm. but it kept on going and, so, and, and then I gave up commercial photography mid-2000s because mm -hmm. I was getting so busy with my studio work and exhibitions. Right. And I branched out mid 2000s also into installations because I realized with photography, I have a limit, limited uh, amount of tools to mm -hmm. work with. So you and branched out into what? Like installations. And right. I, was, I started with perfumes. I did, this, did a huge mirror, uh, which started to freeze. And the mirror started to fog and freeze and build ice crystals and started to melt. Mm -hmm. The pieces in in the hotel collection in Kentucky, mm -hmm. C21, and then also perfumes. But then, like right now, for example, in the Dome Museum in Vienna, mm -hmm. there's a 
piece where which I'm known for was the human skull in an aquarium and there are corals growing, live corals growing in and slowly taking over the 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 skull and slowly have the skull yeah. disappear. Yeah. So for me it's also like making pictures alive. I think it almost reverts the process of, instead of taking a picture and try to create processes where you can experience in picture or mm -hmm. an environment. Yeah, I know you have a big presence in uh, the museum uh, culture. How does it go in terms of the gallery culture? Like you see, America and New York City's art scene especially is very commercial. But in Europe, it's a little bit different, right? For you? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think East and West Coast are very commercial. And museums tend to do shows with commercial, uh, much more with commercial artists or really well-known artists. Mm -hmm. and that has many reasons. Uh, in the middle of America, you feel a little, you find a little more radical, um, smaller institutions, maybe tied to universities, mm -hmm. who are less, uh, who are less dependent on money from donors and for, for philanthropy, so they're less connected to this commercial world. Mm -hmm. In Europe, I mean, because they they're mostly government subsidized, they don't have to go for the commercial routes. It's a very mm -hmm. different seen and um, while we have of course amazing galleries and I work with a gallery here in Europe mm -hmm. um, still mid-sized galleries can maintain and survive here mm -hmm. because their collectors are still buying from them I mean, it's mm -hmm. much harder in the states I feel with the mega galleries and the money going uh, only to very well-known artists and I think that crisis even have sort of enhanced that problem right <clears throat> That, yeah, yeah, that people are less willing to risk any investment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what it comes down to, right? It's an investment and um, everything is seen through the eye of, 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 of investment. So it's that pitch is very different in Europe, especially for institutions. The institutions mm -hmm. still, a lot of, because they're independent, they don't have to think that way. I mean, they, some do, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, bigger ones, and some do get money from or a private museum, and they have very different programs from an institutional government uh, um, on space. Right. So we yeah. have a lot more independence in that sense. Yeah. And tell us about the art scene in um, Austria. I mean, you're outside of Vienna, right? I'm outside of Vienna. Currently, I just, because it was the simplest way thing to do right now, mm -hmm. to, go on, to go up the Alps and have my family helping me with my kids. I don't mm -hmm. have to tell you that you have a we have a one year older toddler mm -hmm. than mine, mm -hmm. uh, but it's two hours from Zurich, it's two hours from Munich, six hours from Vienna, a little bit far. Um, mm -hmm. But I have been a lot in Vienna since I arrived here because I had multiple uh, shows and projects, mm -hmm. and also in Frankfurt, where my my my, my represent gallery representation is had mm -hmm. multiple multiple projects. Mm -hmm. So the good news is it's all closed, right? You don't have to go very far. Yes. Uh, that's the nice thing about uh, Europe. You mm -hmm. can go to Italy. I was in Bolzano. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, all, it's all like doable within a few hours. Yes. Um, Vienna, the art scene in Vienna is, I mean, I know it mainly from the 90s with Franz West and Kippenberg and all of these guys, Erwin Wurm. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I was still in Vienna and I left 95. Mm -hmm. um, Today it's very vibrant and there's a lot of really young, cool galleries. Mm -hmm. um, they, 
quality is very high. I was extremely surprised, actually. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, it's still very affordable. So a lot of young artists from Europe move there. And I think it's yeah. next to Berlin and Brussels. It's a good destination to be in. Yeah. Um, the government is being generous. So I have really uh, had a much easier time to come here. Mm -hmm. uh, I got good support uh, mm -hmm. uh, so that the COVID didn't really kill me. Yes. And so that's that's a nice part of it. Um, I even were able to sell a, a few pieces here to yes. private institutions, so which is also really nice. Um, I have to yet explore it. I, I hope we're going to take an apartment in Vienna, but we have to still figure it out where yes. to go next. Well, for now, it's good to be in the countryside because I think that's uh, where everyone is right now to somehow maintain their social distance or whatever it is they're calling it now so that you stay yeah. safe or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, you know, you reminded me there was a meme going around online about the support that not even just artists, but the average citizen, let's say in Germany, is getting about 7,000 euros a month of help. Um, Australia mm -hmm. has some money that they give the citizens, like a couple thousand. Mm -hmm. Canada is helping people through this pandemic. And the meme mm -hmm. went on to make the joke that America has GoFundMe. <laughs> I mean, it's sorry. sad. So, it's I, sad. so I have to laugh. So I knew sad. exactly where this, where this, just where this thing is going to head. I mean, it's beyond sad. I mean, it's just really sad. It also shows you... Yeah. I've been there for 25 years. I just, I just just saw the decline of the working class, which was already destroyed by the time I arrived in mid-90s. Yeah. But yeah. then the decline of the middle class, and they literally, I think they just want to bankrupt everyone so they can grab the last penny. And they, the culture of like, yeah, it's this, this, this culture of money and making more money and at whatever cost it comes to destroying everything, nature, Yes. The livelihood, uh, livelihood yeah. of others, the yeah. livelihood of cities, the whole country. Yeah. It's a very, it's very brutal and acid to, to the environment. It's very acid to the, to the, to the society. And we see what's happening. When this started, I was, yeah, I had a house which was sold upstate with a friend mm -hmm. together, mm -hmm. and we were hunker, uh, we were up there for a couple of months, and mm -hmm. I told my wife, this is going to last three months and then there will be a revolution. And sure enough, the begin, end of May, the whole thing exploded. It wasn't, didn't even take three months. Yes, yes, yes. I, mean, I think there's multiple reasons, obviously, mm -hmm. the race. I mean, the slave plantation was never really taken down in the, most, in the brains of most Americans, mm -hmm. I feel like. Mm -hmm. And that's my whole feeling from the outside, right? And And... and, and then of course the disparity of income is and and and, the, and people are having no way to survive. I mean, this is just brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's it, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, and when the first crisis happened, actually in two thousand one, I saw that what happened after being five years in New York, and and then I quickly traveled to Europe to maintain business relationships after that because mm -hmm. I always knew you cannot. If things go down in the states, there's no backup system. I mean, you're on your own. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. That's a exactly. Cardboard box and the mm -hmm. soup, maybe if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh God, yeah. you're on your own. That's yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, this hyper independence, yeah. which is really at the end of the day, toxic. 
you know, Talk no, to, yeah. no community, it's, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, anyways, no, nothing, no, everyone, yeah. Anyways, we want to talk about that, but yeah, yes, yes. and you know, I, I worked for seven years after after uh, 2008. I was looking in the history of actually public uprising. I went to Madawan in, in West Virginia, where there was a big mining uprising in the 1920s, and talking mm -hmm. about repeating history, it was mm -hmm. exactly the same narrative. It was exactly people got just like, squeezed out. The world, uh, uh, the, the 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 market crashed uh, like Friday. Mm -hmm. And the miners had no money, and they were basically working for script for for funny money, and they couldn't pay off their debt, so they were enslaved. And mm -hmm. until it erupted into a war, right? And I mean, we do know in history, social imbalance brings violence, brings civil unrest, and brings most likely a totalitarian regime. And we, uh, I certainly know it. My my grandfather was picked up by the SS and imprisoned. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're heading down the same road again. So it's kind of really scary to see all of that. And yeah. the 10 years in, in, in Madelan, in West Virginia, coal mining, now we have this coupled with poverty, people mm -hmm. locked into their, into their, into the hands of this corporation. There's also environmental destruction, which um, is also hyper, in the, in the hyper growth of capitalism mm -hmm. is also just accelerating and sort of like for me was that sort of um, how the average worker is sort of locked into this destructive cycle, cycle. And you yes, yes. You, can't you can't escape it right <clears throat> yes because wh whoever you talk to and I had talked to a lot of people it's always like but you can't escape that capitalist cycle but I don't think it's necessarily true if we have I mean, uh, well, the thing is a new movement. There's a new movement and it may be happening slowly. And at some point, it's also still tied to economics because, you know, all these finance right. guys are now talking about this sort of green energy and green capitalism and green investments. And I mean, it's the same thing, except now they figured out that you can actually make money from helping uh, with this sort of environmental thing instead of just drilling and yeah. killing yeah um anyways yeah, so, well, go ahead yeah. yeah and i think for me i i grew up in this sort of like touristic environment where where i saw like a, a 500 year culture being destroyed over money very quickly and um you know mountains moved to to make place for skiers and then the ski didn't show up any, and then the snow didn't show up anymore and we had now we have everything uh, with artificial snow, so it's just really strange, um, also kind of destructive to 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 the environment and destructive to the to the people. Um, but also they also start to think. So what's next? Is obviously you can only make so much snow so for so long. So they also have to think differently. And then environmental concerns are definitely coming up here and changing mm -hmm. the way tourism is done. Yes. So there's hope, of course. Yeah. And and one of your works was uh, going up to the Arctic and photographing the icebergs mm -hmm. with the. You want to talk a little bit about that uh, before we end, so we get back to your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, um, no, it's not. Yeah, you. in two thousand seven, I, 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 I Yeah, I think it's a. It, it's also in in the, in the end and the Dome Museum, which is a beautiful show, a fragile creation, and it. I think it's one of my key projects. I call it staging nature because where I grew up, there were 
the floodlights at night and people would come down the the, the piece. And for me, sort of nature is a background. We always perform in front of it in a way, human beings. So mm -hmm. going up to the Arctic in 2007, when real concerns about um, uh, uh, climate change have come up in, in the mm -hmm. US, I wanted to check. And, I, uh, and the bizarre thing is I had to go in the winter because the Arctic, uh, only in the Arctic winter, you have darkness. In the summer, it's 24 hour daylight. Mm -hmm. And going up in, in February, I arrived there and the guy told me 10 years ago, you couldn't have done the project because it would be frozen the sea. So it was already happening big time. And right. 10 years in, in the making, uh, the bay was free and it's called Disco Bay in Ililosat, mm -hmm. which all the big expeditions stopped over. And it was a, a crazy trip because it was like minus 40 degrees and we were out in this little nutshell and, and having movie lights and gaffers and lighting up this huge icebergs and sort of like creating this stage and you know, for no one to see but us. And then obviously you have the beautiful photograph, this hyper real white uh, icy mountains with mm -hmm. a lot of colors in. And they become now like an, an icon for climate change. No, but I never intended to be, but they have been turning and I just, I mean, I just had like so many requests for those in, in, the, in the last five years. Right, yeah, yes. So many museums, not only buying, but also want to showing them. And yeah. it's, it has turned into something very different than I thought it will turn. And it's also really weird how you intend to do something. And then all of a sudden it turns into an icon of a total disaster. Yes, it takes on a life of its own. Eh? Yeah, and I think that's the beautiful thing about uh, uh, artworks, just like the human skull in, in, in the aquarium where corals growing. Mm -hmm. it took a life of its own and um it's very weird damien hurst must have heard about it and he wanted to see it uh and um but it's sort of like it's a living organ growing and and, and it, it's almost like a, a an attraction people like need to see it they need to see the skull and the corals and some fish and some cleaner shrimps in that uh, in that habitat well, and, it's also a reminder that uh, out of the death, the life still comes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a very big reminder. It's very much in the vein of the Vanitas. Mm -hmm. I showed it in 2000, I think it was 2013, I showed it at Marian Bursky in New York. Mm -hmm. I went to a very good private collection. But it was the same thing. People would just like, it was, it's an extremely conversational piece. People mm -hmm. would come back and back again and again and the, the fish and the, the, the little shrimp got, got names and it was also very <laughs> personalized. Yes, <laughs> it's very yes. beautiful if you create a piece that can create so much conversation. Yes, it's it's good. It's what uh, art should be at some level too, yes. So yeah. tell us what your plans are for the future. I mean, so you might come back to New York at some point, at least for a little while. But what about the work? What are you working on now? Or what do you plan to do with your own work? Um, I started uh, a new project and I, I used a laser cutter. I was very fascinated, fascinated, I was grimly fascinated by the uh, big wildfires in the US and elsewhere. And then also the riots which and wars actually, which are also sort of fire, it deals mm -hmm. with fire. Mm -hmm. And what I started to do, I, I took a laser cutter, which cuts uh, vinyl, uh, vinyl displays mm -hmm. uh, with a laser. And I sort of reprogrammed it or hacked it so it burned little dots into a 
graphic standard paper, just mm -hmm. like a Goya print. Right. And now this machine makes little dots like raster dots, like a newsprint and mm -hmm. uh, uh, prints um, prints images from, from the wildfires and also from the riots. And I'm being very, uh, go into the internet and find them in news feeds. Mm -hmm. And I try to find the most iconic ones like in the riots or in, in, in the wildfire, for example, there was this wildfire and three Mustangs were running through the through the um, field and it sort of really reminded me of the American Wild West, but also the freedom and the Marlboro Man and all of these things. Yes, so I yes, really yes, tried yes. to find very iconic images and sort of which are relating to to, to American culture. Also in mm -hmm. the riots, I mean, I found mm -hmm. a very contemporary KKK and then mm -hmm. I, I found one in, in um, Minnesota where, where a girl is standing with the arm stretch, so this K and K, the, the cross burning, and her stretch, the sort of like some, some bizarre visual yes, references, yes. which have obviously have come from a red, but it's all at the same time. So I'm also using, like Andy Warhol in this excellent series, I'm using very, um, uh, I just go through the through the news and see what's there and like print it immediately. For me, it's sort of like it's also a certain immediacy and urgency to do that. Right. And it's. It's sort of said you fight fire with a fire. So I really like that the process itself, burning an image is the is also the cause of, or is it, it's not the yes. cause, but it's, it's sort of implemented in the content of the image. Yes, yes. Well, it sounds fascinating and it's a good balance to the, it's like fire and ice. Now you got to the fire. Yeah, <laughs> now I got the fire. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and I feel like we're burning down the world in, in a rapid space but it's also these images are also hauntingly beautiful and very very magical mm -hmm. in some ways and you can mm -hmm. actually see how it, how this uh, the, the burn uh, in the paper produces all of this little um, smoke flares on the paper yeah and so. i called them after goya because when goya did his prints mm -hmm. uh, I, I just say after goya disaster wars uh, when Doya did his prints, the, one of the big successes was that he did it, uh, a lithograph so he could readily produce them and distribute them so they would find a much bigger audience. Uh, yes. And these were images of war and therefore it was a much bigger sensation. And uh, it's yeah. very true for the internet too. All right. Okay. Well, is yeah. there something else I didn't ask you that you might want to share with us before we end? Um, yeah, I've been very much engaged in this sort of like performative works where I take institutions over and leave them completely empty and invite actually very local uh, artists, amateurs, uh, artist groups, but then also, also very international artists to come and take over the space. And that has been sort of like a steady project for the last five years where mm -hmm. I just want to see different modes of production in institutions also make institutions alive. I mean, it's great to look at art, but maybe it's much better if you bring in different groups from all of, you know, from senior citizen theater to world stars like Maria Hasabi, who was a documenter and the MoMA performance yeah. star, and, but mix it up, but give museum a, a new meaning and also a new life and sort of like explore that institutional critique into a more meaningful, uh, suggestion of what we can do with a museum with a public institution um, yes but just putting some big commercial shows on 
So I've been very much exploring that for a long time now. And I do very simple line drawings from, from yeah. images I take. That's all I do. And I make little newspapers. So that's oh. what I've been really interested in exploring the last yes. few years. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing your work again. I'm sorry I didn't see it before this whole lockdown, uh, fleeing of the city stuff. But we'll we'll catch up again soon. In we person. catch up. Yeah, my studio is still in Long Island City, and I'll be mm -hmm. back as soon we have a safe means of travel again and meet. Yes, yes. <laughs> soon. Soon. Yeah. The light well, will come. Well, stay healthy. Yeah, the you life too. will come back. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. The pleasure. So good Big talking to you. To you and your family. Big kiss. Yeah. Thank Take you. Care. To you too. Bye, Say hi Matthias. to Theo. Bye. I will. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode with Matthias. I hope you found it as interesting to listen to his point of view as I did. And we'll be back on the Bees and Honey podcast again soon with some other new and interesting voices on art and the world beyond.